Melody Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. My guest today is Dr. Alice Hamill, the co-author of Teaching Music to Students with Autism, as well as three other books related to teaching music to students with special needs and learning differences. Dr. Hamill is a faculty member of James Madison University. She is in high demand as a clinician and teacher throughout the U.S. and is widely published in the areas of music education, teacher education, and students with special needs. Dr. Hamill holds several leadership positions in the field of music education and is the recipient of multiple awards honoring her work in the field. Welcome to Enhance Life with Music, Alice. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. Well, Alice, you have developed so much expertise in the field of music education for those with autism or other learning differences. I understand that some of your passion for this field began in what was a pretty unconventional childhood. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your early childhood years and how and when you became drawn to the field that you're in. Okay. I was raised in a very small, very rural and poor town in Florida. My parents were the only physicians in the county that would take Medicaid. Mm. So most of their practice was, it just consisted of families who came from poverty and who needed federal aid to access um, medical assistance. Mm -hmm. I worked in their office (laughs) as a child. started with emptying trash cans and worked my way up to doing the Medicaid billing for the patients. And at what age did you start going with them to the office? um, Well, I always went with them where they were. I had a crib in their um, offices when I was even younger and was (laughs) going to conferences with them when I was a toddler. Um, After a while, they started giving me my own badge and, you know, just go around. (laughs) So... So not, so not the that. typical child care experience. <laughs> I did not. I did not. Um, so I, as a result, I learned an awful lot about families and children who had disabilities and kind of what, what they were going through and what their access in life was like at that time. Mm-hmm. And this was like mid to late 70s. Okay. I also noticed that Almost none of the children who came into my parents' office went to school with me. And I asked lots of questions about that because at that time, if you had a moderate to severe disability, you were really not educated in an inclusion setting. Okay. And your school was sort of the default public school in your area? Yes. There was only one. Okay. We were the school. So those students who had some of these either disabilities or learning differences, they just didn't go to school at all? Some of them did not. Some were on homebound instruction and some attended. There was a special school that was farther away. Some of those students would attend that school. Okay. At what point in this experience did you become attracted to music, become attracted to specifically working with students with these learning differences? I think I always loved music. Um, My mother said I was singing to strangers in the grocery store when I was four. (laughs) That was interesting. And I, I remember always loving to sing and play the piano and do anything having to do with music. Unfortunately, in our town, 
we didn't really have opportunities. We didn't have places where you could take dance class or you could mm-hmm. go do soccer and things like that. Um, everything that the children in our town got, we got from the public school system. So we really relied on federal funding for arts programs and sports programs and all of those things. Uh So it really started middle school. You could do band or art or agriculture. Okay. I chose band. Okay. And I remember sitting in band and having this feeling that finally I felt like I belonged. Hmm. I understood everything. Oh, I was a really weird kid. I was so awkward. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I'd spent, I spent all my time with adults, right? Sure. So I didn't really know how to. So, but in band, Did you have siblings or not? I have a brother, yes. Okay, okay. So I, it was just very... I, I loved that experience of being in music and being around music. So one day in seventh grade band, I decided I was going to be a band director. Okay. Do you know what it was that made you feel like this is my tribe? I belong here? <laughs> it was the dumbest thing. <laughs> We're playing out of this book called The Treasury of Scales. And The Treasury of Scales has... Not usually groups. the book that you think of as inspiring people. <laughs> no. Um, so one group will have the scale and then the three other groups will either have a counter melody or a harmony or something like mm. that. Well, the flutes for the very first one we ever did had just the scale on the page. Uh-huh. So I'm looking at the scale, I'm playing the page, but I'm hearing all these wonderful sounds behind me. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is how a really good band plays a scale. Because me, yeah. So, <laughs> but that was the moment. And I never really wavered from that. I didn't know at that time that there were other things. Um, for example, I didn't know that school orchestra was a thing until I was almost in college. Okay. Um, but I took, did everything I could in music and drama in middle school and high school and yeah, said, okay, that's it. I'm going to be a band director. So your undergrad, was that in band directing? That's what you went to school for? Yes. When, well, when I went to college, I had never had any lessons. So I was pretty terrible, but they took Lessons on flute? Right. Because we didn't have teachers. Okay. I said, okay, we think we can do something with this train wreck. So, (laughs) so, and then I also had sung in church Uh um, and some in school. So my mom, I'm in the audition and my mom's outside the door, probably with like a glass to the door listening. I don't know. (laughs) But I I was playing and then they said, well, was there anything else I did in music, whatever. And so I could hear my mom's voice go, sing for him, baby. And it was like a bad movie. So they said, oh, do you sing? And I said, well, I sing at church. So they asked me to sing a song from church and I did. So they said, oh, well, you know, you could study both. You could study vocal music education and instrumental music education. And I said, okay. Okay. So so I did both. I ended up double majoring in flute and voice and double minoring in piano and oboe. Oh, wow. Well, you said that you were a really unusual kid. And yes. you were kind of also attracted to things that were unconventional and sort of on the fringe. Tell us how that interest and that attraction sort of pulled you into the field of working with kids who didn't fit the typical stereotypical mold. Great. In college, I remember getting really bored in methods classes because they were always taught this and that and the student and this objective and this will do this. And I just kept thinking that that can't be all there is. You know, the the way they taught it, everything was so B flat. And I kept looking for the A sharp. (laughs) And and so I kept thinking, oh, you know, what, what might be different? And then one day in elementary methods, 
we were going to finally get to PL 94-142, which was the name initially of the law that talks about individuals with disabilities and their education. Mm. I was very excited for class that day. And we got there, and the teacher, and bless her heart, and she wasn't doing anything wrong. She was just teaching what she knew at that time. She said, you're going to have students with disabilities in your classroom, and you're going to have to do things to help them learn. And then she turned the page. Oh, and that was it. That was it. And oh. that was all we that was all we got in undergrad school. Oh and wow. I know. And so I had this interest in everybody said, Well, maybe you should be a music therapist. And I said, Well, I don't know, what's a music therapist? I spent half my life going, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So so I took some classes in music therapy. Um, and then I spent a summer in an institution in Tennessee basically shadowing a music therapist. Okay. And it was an amazing experience, and I have profound respect for music therapists. However, my goal has always been to teach musical skills to students who have difficulty learning them. Well, tell us about your book, Teaching Music to Students with Autism, the second edition just released in 2020. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what's in it. Yeah, it's interesting because the first book that I wrote with Ryan was um, teaching music to students with special needs, a label-free approach. And we kind of really pushed this whole new heuristic of thinking about students in domains. So cognition, communication, sensory, behavior, emotion, and physical domains. Instead of separating them into discrete disabilities, the way we tend to what I think is hyper-label in our society. And then we follow it up with a book about a label. (laughs) which seems incongruous um i have a daughter who has some disabilities and one of them is that she's on the autism spectrum and ryan has two sons who are on the autism spectrum and we often talk about that and you know i was like ryan we should just write a book about this (laughs) (laughs) so we did um the book the main focus of the book is on the cognitive communication and socialization difficulties that students with autism have and how music teachers can help them be successful in music classrooms. And how does that compare to some of your other books? You mentioned teaching music to students with special needs, a label-free approach, and I believe there's a workbook that also goes along with that. Is that right? There's a practical resource that I put together um, with teachers who many of them were my former students or people who teach around the country now of lesson plans. So actual things that you can do in the classroom um, that will meet needs of specific students who struggle in various domains and has both adaptations, which you can do for everybody, as well as some modifications, which I call winding. Um, When you need to, when you have a student who cannot meet the objective that you have for the class mm-hmm. to find what will work for them so that students don't end up learning nothing okay. or, or sometimes what teachers, and again, they're not bad. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go, well, I don't know. They just come in here to be part of music um, so that everybody has something they're going to learn that day. Okay. So you're really gearing this toward music teachers who have a classroom with a wide spectrum of students in it in terms of their learning styles and abilities. Yeah, because most most classrooms are inclusion oriented. Most students with disabilities are in inclusion classrooms. And when did that sort of turn? Because you were talking about when you grew up, that was not at all the case. 
Well, the first the first law that said we have to stop excluding people with disabilities because it did it was a wide widely utilized practice for many many years that the school could deny you the right to go to school. Okay. That law in 1972 said no, we need to educate everybody. And so then it began, but of course it took a couple of generations to get teachers who know how to teach students with disabilities, right? And to get all of the systems and structures in place so that we could really start to provide services and instruction to everyone. Okay. Uh, it's been a slow path and we've we've made some kind of messy but interesting forays. Like there was a movement for a while that okay, we're going to do full inclusion and everyone's going to be in the inclusion classroom. And then we realized that ah, that's not going to work. Okay. So then we go back to, you know, so some students are educated in a self-contained classroom in their school with other students with disabilities. Um, other students may go to a separate school for students with disabilities. And then sometimes a school system will pay a company or a facility to help educate a child with disabilities. I have a young friend who just turned 18 who currently lives in a residential facility. Um, he's there 365 days a year. He's only been home for one brief visit in a year and a half. Mm. And he is the happiest, happiest he's ever been in his life. <laughs> he went through the entire continuum of services, so all of those placements, and finally life makes sense to him. Mm. And so that is his least restrictive environment. That's the place where he needs to be to learn and grow. So what do you say to people who ask, why music education? What does music education have to offer those with autism or with other learning differences? Mm -hmm. Well, autism in particular, there's been some research done to show that students with autism will respond more appropriately to, I guess, things being taught to them if they're presented through music than if they're presented in any other way. Can you give us an example Sure. Is that something kind of like the teacher wants the class to line up and Susie is not cooperating, but if it's mm -hmm. turned into a line up at the door song, suddenly she's more cooperative and interested yes. in doing that? Yes, she can be. Or if you play a recording, that's the line up at the door music. Ah. Um, yeah. I, you, it's a cue. Music. Yes, absolutely. It's an aural cue. Um, because sometimes vocal inflection can be very confusing to people with autism. Mm. So having a cue that is completely not judgmental or in a hurry or any of those things can sometimes uh -huh. help a student know, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Well, I imagine it also provides some predictability because once they hear the beginning of that song kick in, they know what's coming next in terms of both the song that they'll be listening to, and also the activity that goes along with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, procedures and routine are key to people who have autism. Thank you to our sponsor, Sheet Music Direct. Sheet Music Direct is the world's premier destination for digital sheet music. It's powered by sheet music publisher Hale Leonard. I have used Sheet Music Direct for probably 10 years, and it has saved me countless hours of driving to music stores and sifting through bins of sheet music and books to find the right song and hoping the perfect song isn't out of stock. 
Sheet Music Direct's library has more than 1 million sheet music arrangements that you can view and listen to right from your device for convenient online shopping and immediate downloads of educational, classical, and pop scores that represent just about any genre and holiday. Prices start at 99 cents, and you can both print your purchases instantly and access them on any device, which has really come in handy for our family when we're out of state visiting grandma and grandpa, and they want to hear my kids play the piano. Access the latest hits and yesterday's classics at sheetmusicdirect.com. Any any other comments that you have in terms of that that question of what does music education have to offer those with autism? Well, it's interesting because um, in NMRIs that we've given to people who have autism, we can see that some of the places where information is stored in the brain of those with autism, are they're in different places than they are in the brain of someone who's neurotypical. Oh, okay. And sometimes, because sometimes teachers are like, well, why can't they just, I'm like, because autism, because their brains are literally hardwired differently. Hmm. And they, they learn differently. They process things differently. It's, it's a whole different, like a computer. It's a whole different operating system. Uh-huh. And how does music affect that? I don't think we're exactly sure yet. We just know that it does. So when we, when we use music to teach things and we use music to help students process things, they are more readily able to understand them and remember them. The material in your books, is that primarily geared toward educators in a school classroom setting, or is it also applicable to music educators in a private lesson environment? I think both. Um, it's My books are very much more practitioner-oriented, so for practicing teachers, um, there is research in them, but it's not so geeky that it's hard to read. <laughs> um, I try to be really practical. Um, this is my 35th year of teaching, and I have always taught children uh-huh. in some way. So, yeah, I try to make everything really practical and like today in the classroom. Okay. And is it geared toward educators who work with children K through 12? Yes. Okay. Are there any like broad tips in general for music educators that you've kind of come back to over and over? So if a listener was to say, okay, what's your like top two or top three (laughs) tips for music educators to like keep us going and give us uh, something to grab onto until we can get these books and learn more, what would your tips be? I think one is that every student is different. Um, There's a saying, when you've taught one person with autism, you know one person with autism. Mm. Which is why I think the labels sometimes really get in the way. Mm -hmm. Because every student is their own individual person. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to kind of figure out how they they work and what what is best for them as far as learning and growing. And it's a fascinating process for me to do that for classrooms of children over and over. It does get easier. (laughs) <laughs> because you you tend to like notice the same kind of characteristics okay. in various students over the years. I know one of the big, I guess, detractors or, or difficult parts of this year for students who've been online has been that there's not that as much of an opportunity for their teachers to get to know them. Mm. It's been more difficult online than than in person. Sure, um, but I think as we're Hopefully coming out of this pandemic, <laughs> that um, 
that, you know, when, when school begins again in the fall, we'll have more opportunity to just kind of take a few minutes and get to know each student, whether by reading their paperwork or talking to their main special education teacher or talking to other teachers who work with them. And when I do that, I try to always be just as positive as I can. And I ask my colleagues for assistance. What I will say is, I feel sometimes that maybe I'm not the best teacher for Molly. And could you please give me some ideas for how I can be a better teacher? Hmm. So to be able to kind of lay yourself bare like that, or as I say, like you're a puppy who's rolled over on his back saying, <laughs> you know, rub my belly. <laughs> to, you know, to just say, hey, I, I know I can do better. What? How can I learn from you? And to mm. have that lifelong learning idea that, you know, I'm not done just because I have a degree or because I've been teaching for 150 years. It doesn't mean that I know everything. So I think those, those would be the two things that I would recommend. Wonderful. What about tips for parents of children who are on the spectrum regarding incorporating music into their child's lives? What do you recommend? I recommend starting with what they enjoy. Mm. I think too often we try to prescribe specific music for kids uh-huh. and the they are the biggest consumers of music. They know everything. They know what's out. They know the you know they know all kinds of music. And even if it's not your jam, it's not really something that you like to listen to. To to try to take their interests and make them your interests. For someone with autism, because of differences they have in theory of mind, if they like the music of her, they're going to assume everybody likes the music of her. Mm. And it's quite a jolt for them to realize that somebody else wants to listen to different music. So I try to go into their world um, as much as possible and say, hey, what are you listening to? What do you like? Uh Oh, that's really cool. Can I can I listen with you? Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. What else? You know, and then if you want to slowly introduce music that you like, maybe say, "Okay, so let's listen to five minutes of your music. And then one minute of my music. Mm. Kind of titrate it that way a little bit. Yeah. Well, as you're talking about these tips for both educators and parents, I'm thinking the educator who's working in a private studio situation like myself and a lot of my music teacher colleagues, we sort of have a hybrid of the two. We get that one-on-one experience with the child, which makes your tips for parents much more applicable to us in terms of let's start with what this child is interested in and maybe, you know, kind of compromising on we'll do a little bit of what you like and then we'll do a little bit of what I like and kind of both experience what the other person is interested in. But then those tips for the educators are also completely applicable to those of us in a private lesson uh, situation in terms of, you know, talking to other music teacher colleagues or other music educators or parents and saying, how can I be a better teacher to this child? You know, give me some some feedback and some input here. And and then also your, your tip for educators of just recognizing that each of these students is completely unique. So the fact that I had a student who was on the autism, on the spectrum five years ago, doesn't mean that this new student who has come into my studio for the first time is is going to operate in a similar way or like the same things and so forth. Yes, I have a flute studio and every one of my students has some type of exceptionality. Ah. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, give and take in that, that we weren't necessarily taught 
right? As, as teacher artists and, you know, under the way that many private teachers were taught, we weren't taught that it's a give and take and it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, but it really works. It's, it's wonderful. And then every lesson becomes a totally different thing because sure. every kid is on their own trajectory. Well, and who doesn't like to feel like their input and their voice is being heard and mm-hmm. respected, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. We, we all like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Well, any other suggested resources that you have for listeners beyond your books? I'll for sure be including links in the show notes to your books, but any other resources that you want to direct listeners to, both music educators and parents? Um, Sheila Scott wrote a great book about teaching music to students with autism. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a Canadian author. I'm blanking on the name of her book right now. Okay, yeah, look it it up. Yeah, Sheila. If you just Sheila Scott Autism. Okay. And I really, I really like her book a lot. Wonderful. Well, I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Tell us about the song that you're going to be sharing with us today. Okay. Um, my younger daughter Holly lives um, and works in Nashville. She's a singer songwriter session singer, producer, all of the, you know, everything that freelance musicians do in Nashville. Uh And she was writing music during the early part of the pandemic last year. And she was just, she's like, everything seems so hopeless. Everything, you know what, you know? So she wrote a song called Better Days. Um, I love it. The lyrics are so beautiful and meaningful. And they really say how we felt last March and April. Mm. Um, that we, we, we knew that we were down right now, but there were better days and things were going to look up. I love her music. When I talked to her about sharing her music on this, she goes, well, mommy, what's your favorite song? And I said, whatever the last song I heard by you is my favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, okay, well, anything on Spotify you could share. So, <laughs> so I chose better days. I love the selection. I got goosebumps when I listened and watched it. It's also a YouTube video, so I'll be including that in the show notes. And I encourage listeners to not only listen to the excerpt we're sharing now with you, but also go to the show notes and look at the video. Holly did such a great job of capturing the sentiments that you just described, but also just these vignettes of normal life that we took for granted. Mm-hmm. And we don't really anymore. And it's really those small pleasures and those everyday moments that are so meaningful. Those those everyday moments of connection with other yes. humans. And she did such a great job of capturing that in the movie, the the YouTube video. So I encourage students, students, you can tell I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I encourage listeners to go and to the show notes and view that YouTube video as well. So thank you, Holly. Thank you so much, Alice, for joining us today. I really appreciate all of your expertise and work and wisdom that you've put out for all of us educators to use to enhance lives with music, the lives of people who are on the spectrum or have other learning differences and pulling them into this pool of humanity who can experience the joy and the gift and the life-changing power of music. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. This was fun. I don't have to be
Holly, for sharing that song of hope and optimism with us today. I did look up the book that Alice recommended to us by Sheila Scott. It is called Music Education for Children with Autism Spectrum Disorder, a Resource for Teachers. There is a link in the show notes, along with lots of other information from today, including a link to Holly's music. I also want to point out that Alice referenced a Ryan during our conversation, and that is Ryan Hurrigan, the co-author of her books. Thank you to Alice and also Ryan and Holly for their contributions to this Autism Acceptance Month episode. Today's show notes are at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 92. While you're there, I would love to hear from you. Connect with me on my website, by email or social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing the show with your friends and family. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.